like a most powerful storm. Jesus' teaching, life, death, resurrection, and rule impact everything in our world. From how we view children, the sick, political leaders, and ourselves, Jesus left an impact. Good morning. I'm Bob Holsema and a member of First Church for 40 years. I'll be reading from Luke 7. The heading that I have is Jesus anointed in a Pharisee's house. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. And then Jesus gives a parable of two debtors. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Gracious God, as we open your word, we thank you for the way that your spirit speaks to us through it. And so open our hearts, our minds, our lives to the truth you have for us today. In Christ's name, amen. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning, and we're going to do that in, by looking at four main things. Four main things. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at what forgiveness is not. Then we're going to look at the fact that Jesus' suggestion of forgiveness in first century Jewish world was just as odd and strange then as it is now. The third thing we're going to note is that forgiveness is divine work. 
And then we're going to close by talking about working and moving toward forgiveness. So four things. And the first thing we want to talk about for just right off the bat is to know what forgiveness is not. Because the truth is that when forgiveness comes up, there is something in us where our defenses rise, where we immediately want to say, yes, but, or that may be true for someone else, but not for me. Or I'm just not sure that Jesus has in mind my situation when he was talking about this. And so we want to be clear what forgiveness is not so that we can talk clearly, openly, and truthfully about what forgiveness is. So what isn't it? What's well, not condoning? Jesus never forgives someone and then says, oh, what you did was no big deal. Forgiveness is never about turning one's eye blindly to something that is wrong and saying, eh, whatever. Forgiveness is never saying it's not important. It's not condoning. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Most of us know this by experience because you and I as human beings cannot control what we remember and what we forget. We can try our very hardest to forget things on purpose, and yet it is nearly impossible. So forgiveness is not about forgetting as if the only way we've truly forgiven is that it never comes to mind. That's not the case. Neither is forgiveness about reconciliation. To forgive someone does not mean that you have to get remarried to that same person. It does not mean that that person needs to be your pastor again. It does not mean that you need to go to business, into business with that person again. It does not mean that you need to be best friends again. Forgiveness is not about reconciliation and everything being the way that it was before. So it's not condoning, it's not forgetting, and it's not reconciliation. But there's another important thing about what forgiveness is not, and forgiveness cannot be given to institutions. For example, you can't forgive First Cutlerville any more than you could forgive McDonald's for wrongly firing you. You can forgive your boss, the coworker who wrongly accused you, but you cannot forgive an organization you can only forgive people. So how was forgiveness as strange then in the first century Jewish world in which Jesus is lying on the floor with his, arm, his head on his arm facing a table and his feet away? How is forgiveness as strange then as it is now? We have in our passage a story of three main characters, three main people that show up in our story. Of course, Jesus and Simon and the woman, the nameless woman, are the three main people we have in front of us from the gospel writer Luke. And each one of them is illustrating something about what forgiveness is. And we learn first and foremost about forgiveness, or at least the way that 
that kind of world thought about forgiveness through Simon. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice that Jesus is invited to Simon's house and Jesus goes and they're reclining at the table. And when this woman comes in, the Pharisee, Simon, who sees her, immediately thinks this woman should not be here. His first thought is about exclusion. It's about moving and removing the person who isn't pure enough or good enough. In other words, being whole isn't about being forgiven, but being whole is about looking the part and being able in good conscience to be able to check all the boxes off. Notice how the Pharisee Simon thinks about this woman. She is a sinner. She doesn't deserve to touch Jesus. She doesn't deserve to be in the same vicinity as him. And if Jesus truly knew who she was, he would also, notice the action, exclude her. He would push her away. Forgiveness was for those who were worthy of it. Now, we don't have to work too hard in our own day and age to note that those who are worthy of being considered need to be those in the right crowd, the right tribe, And the way toward wholeness, even the way we might say toward forgiveness, is by affirming the right things and that those who don't should be cut off. A quote describing one of the main personalities of our day. Personality X covers America's most powerful political personalities, brutally breaks down the culture, and never gives an inch. Sounds like Jesus? Another quote. The best thing in life is to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear them lament. One of those can be found on the Twitter handle of someone today, and the other one is from Genghis Khan. But they don't sound all that different, do they? Exclusion, pushing away, so that purity is about being in the right tribe, in the right group, affirming the right thing, that's what's more important today, just like it was in the first century. And the challenge that you and I as Christians face, the challenge that you and I as Christians face is that we are told forgiveness, giving room for Allowing God to be responsible, that feels weak 
and it doesn't necessarily feel very good. Right, who wants to have a situation where you are incredibly wrong? Someone slanders you. Somebody throws you under the bus. Someone uh, says false things about you to all sorts of people. And then your responsibility is to forgive them. Not necessarily even to defend yourself. Not necessarily to make things right. Not to point out all of the horrible ways in which the person has misjudged you. Our job as Christians is to forgive. No one on the news is asking us to do that. No one on their Twitter handle is asking us to do that. No one on Facebook is asking us to do that. We are all being asked to affirm what makes us feel good by excluding those who deserve to be pushed away so that we can be seated at the table and feel good. What makes this even more challenging in today's day and age is that the effectiveness of life, right, what determines whether thing is, something is successful or not is how it impacts our insides. So forgiveness in 2022 is actually about self-actualization. Right? You forgive in order so that you're not a person of hate. It has nothing to do with God. You forgive so that you're not bitter. It has nothing to do with the cross. Even when we hear about forgiveness in our culture, it has nothing to do with the divine work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the forgiveness of God the Father, who should pour out his wrath on us for sin, but holds back. It has to do with our hearts feeling good and not wanting to hold on to the terrible things. Is that true? Yes, of course it is. Forgiving helps us to let go of bitterness. It helps us to heal our hearts. It helps us to move forward. Of course that is true because that's how God has designed it. But it cannot first and foremost be about those things. It cannot first and foremost be about settling the debt in our own head and in our own heart and in our own way. What forgiveness is not, how forgiveness back then was a lot like forgiveness today. The third thing we see in this text is that forgiveness is divine work. It probably most shows up in the 49th verse of this passage. If you have your Bible open, the text there reads, the other guests began to say to themselves and among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. So again, the scene we have in front of us is that there is a table in the middle of the room. The guests of Simon are reclining at the table. Their hands, are, their heads are on their hands. Their feet are out. And there's likely a crowd gathered in the room, some who are listening in through the windows. But there are a number of people who are tuning in, sort of watching this meal unfold. And when Jesus offers grace to this woman, there's a murmur that goes through the crowd because everyone knows that it is only God who can forgive. 
Only God is the one who can truly offer grace and mercy. And notice that Jesus does not correct them. Jesus doesn't say, yes, that's true, but you also can forgive sins. Jesus doesn't say, yes, I'm God, I can forgive sins, it's okay, and, and, and you can do this too. No, Jesus is clear that forgiveness is divine work. Which is to say that if you have ever forgiven someone, it is God at work in you. It is God at work in me. The only way to forgive is through the power of the Spirit in us. Because think about just a moment with me. What would need to go in in order for forgiveness to actually make sense? Let's take that McDonald's example. You're flipping burgers, minding your own business. You show up on time. You're doing your job. You're kind to people when you run the cashier's register. You're kind to your coworkers. You listen to your, uh, your boss. You're doing your job. And behind your back, your employers are telling your boss that you spit in people's milkshakes. You take hamburgers and you rub them all over your hands and then you put them on the burgers. You've cursed at your fellow employees. And so you get fired. Now, how do we determine what forgiveness should look like? The first thing we'd have to do is we'd have to figure out all of the people who have said horrible things about us. And then we have to figure out exactly what they've said so that we can weigh how much they played a role in our getting fired. And then we have to figure out whether or not the boss had motives ahead of time to fire us or not. And then we have to figure out how many people we've served along the way will be harmed by our not working there. Because when we're working there, we're kind and compassionate. But if we're not working there, we don't have the opportunity to spread the love of Jesus. When we're working there, we flip good hamburgers. But if we're not there, we have to somehow figure out the effect of our not being part of the system anymore. Right? All of these things come into play. Not only that, but we have to figure out how our coworkers going home and lying about this to all of the other people has infiltrated their lives all around the community. How could we even begin to figure out all of the ways in which this one thing has had an impact on the world and then determine how each one of those should appropriately be responded to. The reason forgiveness is divine work is that there is only one who knows all things. There's only one who knows the true motive in the heart of the one who has wronged us or righted us. But sometimes we have to forgive those who've done 
nice things to us because we didn't deserve it. God is the only one who holds all of that and all of the timelines of history and all of the way this interplays and intersects and plays itself out, God is the only one who holds that. And therefore, God is the only one who through an act of mercy can also have an impact on the world. Now, God chooses to use us as his agents, as his instruments, as his hands and feet. And so when we offer forgiveness by the strength of God, by the divine work of God in us, the impact of that can be seen. But forgiveness is divine work. Which is also why forgiveness requires a bit of a process. Because if you get fired for your, from your job at McDonald's, it's very different than when you put your life savings into a company and your coworker steals it It's very different when you have a spouse abandon you. It's very different. It's very different when a child completely undermines your authority, turns their back on you, and runs away, spreading all kinds of lies in their wake. It's very different in those kinds of situations, to do the divine work of God to forgive. Now, one of the tricky things is that when we start, we can name what forgiveness is not. It's much harder to describe what forgiveness is. Because at no point in the gospel stories or no point in the Sermon on the Mount, no point in Jesus' sermons does he stand up and say, if you want to forgive someone, here are the things you must do. When it comes to forgiveness, Jesus almost always tells a story. A man comes and says, settle the account between my brother and I because there's some friction there, right? The brother needs to forgive the other brother as they consider the father's inheritance. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. He says, let me tell you a story about a king who has a servant who owes him an infinite amount of money. And the king forgives him and that servant goes out into the street and then that servant sees another servant and then takes him by the collar and shakes him like crazy. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a king who has two people who have different amounts of debt. One of them owes 50 denarii, one of them owes 500 denarii, and the king forgives both. Which one will love him more? 
which one will be for... No, it isn't about being forgiven more, is it? That would have been a fascinating thing for Jesus to say. He asks in verse 42, now which of them will love him more? Jesus does not ask which of them is more forgiven. If Jesus had asked that question, then we would have been back to judging the difference between the woman who is washing Jesus' feet and Simon who is sitting at the table. But it's not about the amount of forgiveness. Jesus is asking about the response to the forgiveness and whether forgiveness has had an impact on the heart of the one who has received it. Let me say that again. Jesus asks about the reaction of the one who has been forgiven to see if it has had the impact of the, on the heart of the one who has received it. And so when Jesus points to the woman and said, this woman has been forgiven because she has loved much, there is evidence right there that the forgiveness of God has been rooted in her heart and is now being lived out. So for you and I, when we think about and when we consider the places in which we have, are in need of forgiving, in need of doing the hard work of forgetting, of allowing God to settle the accounts, of seeing that we are also sinners in need of mercy, that our infinite debt has been paid, and so we have no right to shake the person we see in the street. We might say forgiveness is like a story. It's like the story of Jesus in the garden. The moment when the finality of Jesus' journey to the cross actually starts. Because up until this moment, if we're in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is free to walk. He's been praying on his knees. He's still free to get up and leave. But the moment the guards grab him, the moment he is chained and handcuffed, there's only one place he is headed from that point on, and it's the cross. And in that moment, as the crowds come, as the guards come around, Peter whips out his sword and begins to hack wildly, defending Jesus. We are in, you are out, you are excluded and deserving of being pushed away. The sword flies and Jesus places his hand on Peter's shoulder. And then he stoops down and he picks up an ear. He picks up Melchus's ear. You want something fun to think about? Think about how we know the name of Melchus. Why would that name be in the Bible? But Jesus takes Malchus's ear and he puts it back on and he gets led away. 
Jesus, in the moment when he could have pushed away, could have excluded, allowed himself to be led to the place where sin was covered so we might receive forgiveness. And so you and I are called to rest in the divine work of Jesus not in our strength, not in our ability to muster the energy, but to look into the face of Jesus as he puts his ear back on us and makes us whole. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the way in which you move in a forgiving way toward us. We are challenged to forgive. And some of us here this morning, we struggle and we want to be honest about that. We want to be honest about the fact that it is not easy for us to forgive. It is not easy for us to lay things down before your feet and allow you to settle the accounts. And so we're going to give just a a few moments of silence as we maybe for the first time try to forgive or maybe this morning try to move a little bit farther down the story of forgiveness. And so as you bring the names to mind, as you bring people to mind, may your spirit remind us that this is divine work. And God, as we close this uh, prayer and watch a short video, we are also reminded about the power of forgiveness. The new life that it brings, the new possibilities that are opened. And so God, may you also stir in us the power of your spirit to forgive and wonder what new thing you might bring. We pray in Christ's name, amen. The story of Cory ten Boom is a well-known story, but for those of you who may not know, Cory ten Boom was someone who was placed in a concentration camp. Her sister was killed while in that by Nazi guards. And we let's watch a short video about the journey of her own path to forgiveness. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? Suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel aufseers in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. 
I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I explained that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. <laughs>